Hello everybody, Nick Dwyer back with you for another episode of the 10th inning. In today's episode, I have two topics for you. Week 7 of the NFL just passed, so I have my winners and losers from Week 7. Then last night in the MLB, we had the World Series start between the Nationals and the Astros. I want to give you a quick recap of that game and give you my thoughts going into Game 2. Who I think has the best chance for thing. First, let's start out in the NFL. I'm going to give you my winners first, then I'll give you my losers. Week seven, really kind of a turning point in the NFL season. We see the contenders, we see the pretenders. So let's get started off. My first winner, I have the Patriots defense. Now, I know there are a lot of people out there that say, well, the Patriots haven't played anyone yet, so what they're doing on defense isn't really that impressive. Bottom line is, it doesn't matter who they've played. They're doing the job that they're supposed to do, no matter the opponent. If you're playing weak opponents, you're supposed to be right in their face at any given moment. That's exactly what the Patriots defense is doing. Through seven weeks of the season, the Patriots defense has allowed 48 points, good for first in the NFL. Two, 22 turnovers, good for first in the NFL. They've allowed 1,039 passing yards, second in the NFL. One touchdown through the air, first in the NFL. 14 interceptions, first in the NFL. And then on the ground, they've allowed 523 yards, first in the NFL. And two touchdowns on the ground, third in the NFL. Now, last week against the Jets, a lot of Jets fans thought, okay, we beat the Cowboys, Sam Darnold is back, we're ready for you, New England. Well, yeah, that didn't really work out the way you wanted to. Darnold threw four interceptions, and the Patriots had a combined six turnovers against the Jets. They forced six turnovers against the Jets. So it really didn't work out the way that Jets fans Hoped it would and thought it would. So the Patriots are now 7-0, but this is thanks to their defense. Once again, I will say, they may have played weak opponents, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. You can only play who's on your schedule, and with the weak opponents there, you're supposed to beat them. That's exactly what the Patriots are doing, and they're doing it in a very dominant way. Their defense might be... A historically good defense that we've seen in the NFL. We're talking about 1985 Bears, 2000 Ravens, 2013 Seahawks, 2015 Broncos. We are seeing a historically good defense in what the Patriots are doing so far this season. They will have a little bit of a test these next two upcoming games. They have the Cleveland Browns next week, who have underwhelmed thus far. It's very safe to say that they've underwhelmed because they have. They're they're not doing great, but they can come alive at any time. They have the talent. Now we just need to see if they can get it all together. Then, in two weeks, they have a Sunday night game against the Baltimore Ravens. Baltimore Ravens coming alive. Lamar Jackson, one of the most prolific playmakers in the league. He can do it through the air, on the ground, in the air, He's not as confident as he is on the ground. But compared to the last season, Lamar Jackson is so much better in the air that he has made himself a prolific playmaker 
in both aspects of the game. So we'll see how the Patriots defense fares in those next two upcoming games. But as of right now, they're one of the best that we've seen in recent memory. And I don't see any reason why it won't continue. So that's my first winner. My second winner will be the Cowboys. Now the biggest question after that Cowboys game against the Eagles, did the Cowboys save their season? Well, to put it simply, yes, I think they did. The Cowboys are now 4-3. and three. They have the division lead once again in a dominant fashion over the Philadelphia Eagles. Philadelphia Eagles lost 37-10 to and... Yeah, Dak Prescott didn't play great. He didn't play bad, but he didn't play great. 21 for 27, 239 yards, two total touchdowns, one in the air, one on the ground, one interception. The reason they did well is because they finally got Ezekiel Elliott back in good running form. 22 carries, 111 yards, one touchdown, six receptions for 36 yards. So that's on the offensive end, and man, we can't forget what the defense did. The defense came to play. They allowed 283 total yards, three sacks for 26 yards, held the Eagles to 0-2 in the red zone, and forced four turnovers, three fumble recoveries, Kerry Hyder, Antoine Woods, and Malik Collins, and then the interception by Xavier Woods. So they're going into the bye week. They have a bye week this upcoming week. They're going there on a good note. They got a win against division rival. They once again have that division lead. They'll take that momentum going into the bye week, take the time from the bye week, and then they'll come out even stronger the next week they come to play. Cowboys, you got a win. Then we go to Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers, man, he single put him he single-handedly put himself into the MVP conversation. After Sunday's game against the Raiders. Now, will he win it just from that game? Of course not. But he put himself in that conversation. On Sunday, Rodgers, 25 for 31, 429 yards, 6 total touchdowns, 5 in the air, 1 on the ground. Perfect passer rating. I mean, there was really nothing Aaron Rodgers did wrong. And he exposed a weak defense in the Oakland Raiders. So, good for him. He did what needed to be done for the Packers to get a win. The Packers now sit at 6-1, have a commanding lead in the NFC North, and they have a pretty tough matchup going into next week. They have the Sunday night matchup next week against the Kansas City Chiefs. Two things to look forward to in that matchup. Aaron Rodgers, if he can play like he did against the Raiders, it won't be a question. Chiefs defense has gotten a lot better since last season, but we're still talking about one of the best quarterbacks we've seen in the past decade. So if Aaron Rodgers is on, has everything clicking like he did last week, it won't be a contest. Then the Chiefs defense has to keep it close because Patrick Mahomes most likely not playing after injuring his right knee last Thursday against the Denver Broncos. So the defense will need to do something. If they want to keep close with the Packers, Aaron Rodgers getting hot at the right time to move the Packers to 6-1, and one, potentially 7-1 and one this upcoming week, we'll see, gets a nod from me. Now we move on to our next winner, Jacoby Brissett. And I know it seems like we're saying this every week, but Jacoby Brissett, man, 
when Andrew Luck retired before the season started, we all kind of thought, okay, the Colts moved down to being division frontrunners to maybe coming in second or third, possibly even fourth. But no, man, Jacoby Brissett gave the Colts the division lead in a win over the Houston Texans on Sunday, went 26 for 39, 326 total yards, and had a career-high four touchdown passes in that game. Jacoby Brissett looks like the real deal right now. He never really got a true chance with Andrew Luck there because Andrew Luck, when he was drafted, considered once-in-a-generational talent. So we never really got to see a lot of Jacoby Brissett. But man, what Brissett is doing right now, and yeah, it obviously shows they finally built a team around him that can do something, something that they didn't give Andrew Luck for the longest time. But Brissett's using that to his full advantage, and he's doing well. The Colts are a dangerous team right now, and they're in a weak AFC South. The Texans at 4-3, and three, they're a good team, but they're inconsistent. Colts, again, but we can expect that with Brissett. Titans, they're wildly inconsistent. They can be really good one week and then really bad the next week. And then the Jaguars, Jaguars are just kind of sitting there right now at the bottom of the pole. Don't really know what to do. So the Colts have a legitimate shot of winning this division. But they need Jacoby Brissett to keep playing like he was this week. He's he's a winner. My last winner goes to the Ravens. But it's not the Ravens in general. Now, the Ravens picked up a huge victory going into Seattle, beating the Seattle Seahawks. But that's not the winner there. The winner is the defense. Now, we all know Lamar Jackson. He's a great playmaker. Great game on the ground. He had 14 rushes for 116 yards and one touchdown. Not a great game in the air. 9 for 20, 143 yards. Now, the receivers did drop six passes for him. I'm not going to get into that here. But the defense. The defense finally showed up. Defense finally started looking like a Ravens defense once again. Since 2000, Ravens have been known for their defense. This season, not at all. The addition of Marcus Peters made it kind of a reality for this game. They held Russell Wilson to 20 for 41 in the air, 241 yards, one touchdown, and com- total rushing yards to 106. But they finally got turnovers when they needed them. They had one interception by Marcus Peters, pitch six, and then one fumble by wide receiver DK Metcalf. No one even touched him. He literally just fumbled it. And recovered by Marlon Humphrey for a touchdown. So two turnovers turning into scores, big scores for the Ravens. They defeated the Seahawks. Kind of the same thing as the Cowboys. They get a huge win going into their bye week. Then coming off the bye week, they have the New England Patriots at home. So we'll see if that momentum can carry up. But there you have it. Those are my five winners from week seven in the NFL. So now let's get into the losers from week seven. We start off with the Philadelphia Eagles. Philadelphia Eagles, 3-3, three and three, just like the Cowboys going into the week. This was the game to decide right now who's in the lead for the division. Well, one team came to play, and that was the Dallas Cowboys, not the Philadelphia Eagles. Carson Wentz, 16 for 26, 
191 yards, one touchdown, one interception. The team total have had 115 rushing yards. They lost three fumbles. The defense for the Eagles didn't play great when it mattered the most. At halftime, they were down 27-7. Now, I understand the Eagles all season long have been a second-half team. For some reason, they're just not that great in the first half, but they're amazing in the second half. They were hoping that they would do the same thing this week. Well, it didn't happen. They were down 27-7 to at half. Couldn't make it back at all. Cowboys end up winning 37-10. to Give the Eagles a huge loss. They fall to three and four on this season, and they have a net. They have tough four game schedule coming up. Next week they're at Buffalo, who sits at five and f- five and one right now. Then they get the Chicago Bears, currently three and three. Then the seven and zero New England Patriots at home. Then they get Seattle at home. So. These next four games will really determine whether or not the Eagles are a playoff team. Because after those four games, the schedule is very favorable to them to make the playoffs. But with them sitting under 500 right now, they have to go at least 2-2 two and two in these next four games if they want to keep the hope of making the playoffs. Because if they don't go 2-2 two and two over these next four games, even if they go undefeated after that, the best they can sit up... The best they can do is 9-7. And, and I don't know if 9-7 and seven will be good enough this season to make the playoffs. So we'll have to wait and see. The Eagles need to do something. Need to do something quick after that really bad game against the Dallas Cowboys. And it all starts next week against a great defense in Buffalo. So we go to our second loser. This kind of a two-for-one right now. I'm going with the Jets, but not the Jets as a whole. Adam Gase and Sam Darnold. So, we all know Sam Darnold came back last week and beat the Cowboys. Good good way to come back after being out with Mono. But this week, man, this week against the Patriots, we know the Patriots have one of the best defenses in the league. Darnold did not look good. And this was partly due to Adam Gase and just his game plan going into the game. He didn't have a great game plan. Adam Gase, with the game plan on his back, Darnold went 11 for 32, 86 yards, four interceptions. 86 yards, four interceptions? Man, you can't even get 100 yards in an NFL game? That's why I can't just put it on Darnold. Adam Gase needs to give him a chance to do something with the ball. And it just seems like he didn't have a chance to do anything. So that's why I put it on both. But then then this falls on Adam Gase. Adam Gase needs to be able to help this young quarterback in Darnold turn it around going into next week. They can't. Okay, that game against the Patriots is over. That's past history. Move on to next week. Darnold needs, needs to turn around and needs to do it quickly. And we'll see what Adam Gase truly is as a head coach. If he can help Darnold turn around quickly, then he might be on the winner's list next week. But right now, he's a loser. Now we go into Chicago, where we have Mitchell Trubisky. Now, the Bears lost to the New Orleans Saints. New Orleans Saints, great team, especially after Drew Brees went down. Kind of the same thing we all thought. The Saints might falter a little bit. 
without their star quarterback in Drew Brees. Well, that hasn't happened. They've been undefeated since he's went down with Teddy Bridgewater as their starting quarterback. And this was no different against the Chicago Bears. The Saints defense, much better than it has been recently. The Saints have always been an offensive team, not a defensive team. This year, they're becoming a defensive team. But Mitchell Trubisky, 34 for 54, 251 yards, two touchdowns. Not terrible. But when you look at the average of 4.6 yards, 34 completions and 251 yards, man, you're putting up Joe Flacco numbers. I kind of hate to say that because I'm a Flacco fan, but you're putting up Joe Flacco numbers. Joe Flacco, for an average quarterback, because he was never elite. He's elite in the playoffs. That's it. Joe Flacco always found a way to win, though. Trubisky's not doing that. Trubisky is not finding a way to win. And you can say, well, Flacco always had a defense. Okay, then what does Trubisky have? Trubisky has a defense, too. So why can't he find a way to win with that defense? I'm not sure why he can't, but the Bears might have to start looking at other options at that quarterback position right now if Trubisky can't get it going in the next couple weeks. But right now, falling to 3-3 three and three for a team many thought would win the NFC North once again, they're, they're a loser this week. Now we move on to a team who was supposed to be, at the beginning of the season, one of the best teams in the AFC. Not just the AFC West, but the AFC in general. The Los Angeles Chargers. Los Angeles Chargers lost this game. They fall to 2-5 and five on the season. Rivers didn't play bad. 24 for 38, 329 y- yards, and two touchdowns. But the Russian game did nothing. Melvin Gordon... 16 carries, 32 yards. Austin Eckler, 5 carries, 7 yards. I'm not going to blame this on Eckler, though. He had a great game in the receiving category. But Melvin Gordon, man, you held out for much of the offseason just to do this when you return? Really? You said this team needs me to win, and they're not winning with you back. So what's the deal? Something's got to change real quick. The Chargers have to start playing more team ball. I'm not seeing it right now. And they need to get something around really quick. They played the Tennessee Titans, lost to the Titans, were down 23-13 in the fourth quarter, tried to make a comeback, got to 23-20, but on the one-yard line, second and goal, 34 seconds left. Melvin Gordon fumbled. Titans recovered the ball. Titans won the game. So, In these next upcoming weeks, they have to get back on track if they wouldn't even have a chance to make the playoffs. If they lose one or two more games in these next four games, they're done. It's as simple as that. They're done. They're at Chicago. Then they have the Green Bay Packers at home. Then they're at Oakland. Then they have the Kansas City Chiefs at home. Not an easy schedule by any means. All of these teams currently sit at 500 or above. But they have to figure out something. If they want a chance to make the playoffs. But right now for a team who was supposed to be one of the best going into the season. They are very much disappointed so far. You in the losing category right now. Then we go to our last team. This is a rare condition in this day and age. When we see a team who won 
the game still get a loss. But I'm giving the loss to the Kansas City Chiefs. Nothing for what they did. But Patrick Mahomes is injured. Now, it's not nearly as bad of an injury as it was thought when they looked at it. But Mahomes injured dislocated right patella in his knee. They currently sit at 5-2. and two. He's going to be out for a couple weeks. That's as simple as that. If he comes back to play, one, I think it will just be foolish on the training staff for allowing him to play. This division's not nearly as tight as you thought it would be going into the season. Give him time to rest. Give him time to get back to form. Because even if you lose the next two games and he comes back in three weeks, you're still going to be atop the division. You already beat the Raiders. If the Raiders go 2-0, okay, whatever. You're still atop the division. Next week, they're home against Green Bay. Then they're home against Minnesota. Then they're at Tennessee. Then they go into their bye week. So even, even sending him out three games going into the bye week, Worst you could do is lose all three and still be one game above 500. So let Patrick Mahomes get some more time to rest. So I can't really say they're true losers right now. The team's just hurt because Patrick Mahomes is out, obviously. MVP candidate hurt always sucks for a team. But we'll really see in the next coming weeks whether they were a winner of this or a loser. Because if they decide to bring him back too early and he gets even more hurt, they're obviously a loser. If they do well without him, they could easily be a winner for this. So there you have it. Those are my five biggest winners and losers from week seven of the NFL. Now let's get into some baseball. Last night, 8.08 Eastern on Fox, we had the Astros and the Nationals. Game one of the World Series. Two potential Cy Young candidates, Garrett Cole, Matt Scherzer, going against each other. Game one. How would this turn out? Garrett Cole, .40 ERA in the playoffs thus far. And Matt Scherzer, 1.8. They both pitched amazing this postseason. Could it continue? Well, it looks like it could, but things turned. In the first inning, Trey Turner doubled to open up the game. Started off great for the Nationals. Looked like they could have a big first inning. Then they tried to bunt him over. Adam Eaton... Couldn't get the bunt down. Popped it up. He was out. One out. Man on second. Next two batters struck out. Stranded a guy at second in the first inning. Cole out of it. Then we get to the bottom of the first. Scherzer walked George Springer to lead the game off. Then Jose Altuve, your ALCS MVP, got a single. Struck out the next two batters. Then Yuli Gurriel. Gurriel somehow hit that ball. High fastball. Into deep left field. Two-run double. Astros up. 2-0. Scherzer got out of the inning. Now we go to the top of the second. The longest-tenured Washington National on the roster. Ryan Zimmerman. First World Series appearance. Home run. First at bat. Solo home run. Astros up. 2-1 in the top of the second. Skip to the top of the fourth. Juan Soto. 20-year-old phenom. We go from the longest-tenured National to a phenom young national in Juan Soto. Top of the fourth, solo home run, game tied 2-2 in the fourth inning. Then we get to the top of the fifth inning. Kurt Suzuki started off with a walk. Victor Robles single, man on first and second. Trey Turner lined out to right field. Suzuki moved up to third, men on first and third, one out. Then Adam Eaton singled, brought in Kurt Suzuki, 
three to two. Then Juan Soto once again, that twenty-year-old phenom, doubled, brought in both of those runs. Nationals up five to two after five innings. So that ended up being the end. Going into the sixth inning, that ended up being the end of Matt Scherzer's day. Scherzer didn't pitch bad. Five innings, five hits, two earned runs, three walks, seven strikeouts. The biggest thing with Scherzer was he just, the Astros were seeing a lot of pitches. It seems like Scherzer couldn't find his command when he always needed it, but when he really needed it, it was there for him. So Scherzer threw a lot of pitches. That was one downfall with him, but made it through five innings, had the lead in line for a win. Then the bottom six, Patrick Corbin comes in to pitch one inning, gets two strikeouts out of the inning. In the bottom of the seventh, Tanner Rainey in the pitch for the Washington Nationals. George Springer, solo home run. Nationals up 5-3. to three. Then we go to the top of the eighth. Garrett Cole's day is done. Seven innings pitched, eight hits, five earned runs, one walk, six strikeouts. Cole struggled a little bit for what we've seen so far in this postseason, but not a bad outing by any stretch. He just didn't quite have it, so... Close matchup going into the later parts of the game. Astros only down by two. Will Harris comes in to pitch the top of the eighth. Gave up one hit. Juan Soto got a single, stole a base, but no damage done. Five to three after the top of the eighth. In the bottom of the eighth, Tucker singled. Then George Springer once again doubled. Brought in Tucker. Astros down five to four. This is with Daniel Hudson in the game now. Tanner Rainey, one-third of an inning, one hit, one earned run, two walks, one strikeout. Not a good outing from him. Daniel Hudson came in, one and a third inning, three hits, one earned run, no walks, one strikeout. So, five to four. Then, with two outs in the eighth inning, Sean Doolittle comes in. That's their closer. Wants to close the door for the Nationals. And that's exactly what he did. One and one-third. No hits, no earned runs, no walks, one strikeout. Close the game out for the Nationals. Nationals win game one, 5-4 to four in Houston. Now this is huge for the Nationals, but last night the biggest thing I saw is we saw two potential World Series MVP candidates both on the separate teams. Juan Soto for the Nationals, George Springer for the Astros. George Springer basically did everything he could for the Astros to stay in that game, and it just wasn't enough for them. And Juan Soto did the same thing for the Nationals. It was enough for them. Nationals win this game. We move on to Game 2 tonight at 8.07 Eastern Time in Houston. We have another matchup of two great starting pitchers, Steven Strasburg for the Nationals, Justin Verlander for the Houston Astros tonight. I will be giving you a recap of that game tomorrow. But it'll be a great matchup tonight. Don't forget to tune in to Fox at 8.07 Eastern Time to watch this game. For Nick O'Dwyer and the 10th inning, see ya.